Smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. You're a doc, you've studied this, you've talked to the researchers. You're right. saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreation. No wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect to open yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? Good morning. You're listening to the Cannabis Hour, a bi-weekly radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. I'm your host, Jen Prakachi. I want to thank you for tuning in. It's a time of year where we'd usually be preparing for a really exciting event for our community, the Emerald Cup. And uh, unfortunately, we're preparing a little differently than we usually would this year. Um, COVID is happening. We aren't gathering. And so that event is going to be a little bit different. So joining us on the line today, we have uh, Tim Blake. He is the founder of the Emerald Cup. Um, Tim Blake earned his real estate license at the age of 19. He was one of the founders and the CEO of several production companies in the 1980s. This included an audio-video production company, a music label, and an original children's program called Echo You and Simon 2 and a line of New Age video releases. Tim created the Emerald Cup, the world's largest outdoor cannabis competition, 13 years ago. Tim sponsored and helped produce the first gathering of law enforcement and cannabis farmers to openly discuss how they would work together. This helped lead to the creation of the original 9.31 program, whereby cannabis farmers could grow up to 99 plants legally with a permit from the county. Tim was one of the first cannabis farmers to join that program. He was the co-founder of the Mendocino Farmers Collective and also Healing Harvest Farms, both local cannabis dispensaries designed to help facilitate getting outdoor cannabis into dispensaries across the state. Tim is with us here on the line, I believe. Tim, are you there? I am here. Glad to be with you, Jen. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning um, to let us know what's up with the cup. I'd love to hear about what you've been doing in quarantine. But first, um, I want to ask you a question I ask all my listeners, which is, could you tell us about your personal relationship with cannabis? Oh, my personal relationship with cannabis goes back to when I was 14, and um, I was a hyperactive kid, and luckily I found cannabis rather than ended up on Ritalin or something. So I've had a very uh, intimate relationship close since I was 14 years old. Uh, I, I use it topically. I'm more of a vaporizer guy now because I'm starting to get the COPD, um, but I use it as a cannabis oil. I use Mr. Thompson's oil to get rid of my skin cancers. I take THCA and CBDA and, and uh THCA internally, so I use it internally. I use it topically. I, I use it uh, as a vaporized product, and uh, I can't get enough of it. The only thing I don't do too much with it is uh, is edibles, although I'm starting to like those more and more too. 
Yeah, edibles can definitely be a pretty strong experience for sure, even for experienced smokers. So I'd love to hear yeah, about yeah. Um, what you have going on, projects and stuff a little bit later. But first, I just wanted to ask you, what's up with the cup this year? It's to- totally different landscape we're looking at now. So what do you have planned? Well, we're lucky that we came in before COVID last year, so we weren't kind of as hurt as some of the shows like Northern Nights or uh, Cali Roots or Outside Lands. So we're very fortunate compared to a lot of event people who really got hurt with a lot of money on the line. Uh, so we're kind of in between that. Uh, we thought we'd be able to get to the point where we pull the cup off this year uh, in person, but obviously that's not going to take place with the way things are going. Uh, we were already backing up the contest uh, entry deadline through January and the contest itself with the judging uh, through February into March. So we were already planning on switching around the show quite a bit anyway. Um, but after 16 straight years of uh, being with the community and planning for the Cup for the, through the fall, uh, it's like withdrawals for uh, you know, to feel like, okay, what am I doing this weekend? Where do my people go and what's going on? So um, we're planning on the uh, on the contest. We're lucky that we have the contest, uh, unlike a lot of events that uh, don't have something like that. So uh, we've got something to still go on with that's very critical to the community. And uh, we're doing our, our best to just see how we can work with that uh, over the next three months, really not knowing whether we'll be able to bring people in person or it's just a virtual show or how it'll be done. So we're just uh, playing it by ear for the next couple of weeks and just seeing where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And I hear you about the disorientation of what's going on with not being getting ready for the cup. I've only participated in the cup for a couple years. And um, usually this time of year, you know, we're hustling around trying to get everything together to get down there to be at the fairgrounds. And it feels so strange to not have that going on. So I can only imagine how it feels for you because it's been a part of your life for a really long time. And it's a huge part of our community, so I'm really grateful that you're trying to find a way to keep the cup going, um, despite, you know, the pandemic situation that we're in. So I'm just going to read the statement that you have on your website. Um, Taylor just joined us. I, I see this message from my engineer here, so that's great. And we'll bring her on in just a second. So first, I'm just going to read oh, what you have on your website here, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about what the contest is going to be like. So this information is from emeraldcup.com. It's a great statement. It reads, life is all about embracing change and evolution. On behalf of the Emerald Cup team, I'm very excited to announce some major changes to our competition and give you an update on the event itself. With everything up in the air from the challenges of the coronavirus, we're not going to be producing the Emerald Cup this December, but we are moving forward with the contest. We are intending to have the awards ceremony take place in March of 2021, and we will let you know as soon as we can about the event itself. I look forward to seeing the winners of the various competitions be acknowledged and honored for their hard work and artistry. The contest has always been a tight squeeze to complete in time for the show. We've made it work over the years, taxing our flower judges and forcing all the farmers to get your entries cured and in before the deadlines. With cannabis being legalized and with all the new state requirements for entry, it's even more challenging for the contestants and for our judges. With that in mind, we've decided to push the entire contest back. The exact entry deadline will be announced soon, but it will be at the end of January. This will give everyone more time to cure their flowers and to enter the late flowering cultivars. 
This also means the judges will finally have at least a month to review the entries. In addition to backing up the entry deadline, we're also going to change the flower competition's judging process. We will judge along terpene profiles. We'll still have an overall top 20. Every flower entry will go toe-to-toe -to -toe against each other in their respective categories, but we'll let the myrcene-dominant terpene flowers be judged against each other, the pinene-dominant against each other, and so on through the top six terpene categories. The fuels and fruity terpene-dominant flowers will get a chance to stand up against their respective peers. This will also allow for more winners as we will give awards for the flowers that are best grown in each terpene profile. One more change will take place as well. The competition has always been about sun-grown cannabis, but in a nod to all our indoor farmers throughout the state, we're going to include an indoor flower category. Also, we'll have a best of show award for the overall top dog. This will give the indoor and sun-grown aficionados a chance to see how a direct competition fares. With unique cultivars being so critical to a brand's success nowadays, we're also adding two more breeders' cups, one for mixed light flowers and one for indoor flowers. We'll have 40 categories overall. Rolling Stone magazine called the Emerald Cup the Academy Awards of the cannabis industry. And we're proud to bring everyone in our cannabis community together, bridging the northern and southern ends of this glorious state. Awesome, Tim. That's such a great statement for you. And I'm so excited to hear about the changes and the judging and the different categories. I want to talk with you about that. But first, I'm going to go ahead and greet Taylor. Taylor, are you here with us on the air? Yes, I am. Sorry, I'm late. No problem, Thank you so much I was, for I taking the time to join us. I'm just so, so glad to have you and I, here. I don't have any reception on my text, but that's okay. So she's on late because of me. <laughs> Her dad. Oh. It's all right. You know, it's it okay. Kind of we can be pretty relaxed. <laughs> no stress. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor, thanks for joining us. And I wanted to ask you a question. I ask all my listeners, which, you know, obviously you're Tim Blake's daughter, so you probably have a lifelong um, relationship with cannabis, but would you share with our listeners what is your personal relationship with cannabis? Um, yes, sorry. I sorry to start with um because I was like, it is kind of an interesting question for me. I My personal relationship with cannabis definitely started at an early age, um, but I, I wasn't, sorry, I wasn't necessarily a consumer of cannabis until probably I would say like 18 or 19. Like I did smoke a little bit in in high school, but I wasn't as as much of a consumer of cannabis as, um, as some people were. I think maybe because I sort of grew up a little bit around it, I wasn't as intrigued by it on my own. I think I kind of was like, oh, I, I kind of know what that is. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> so it was definitely, um, from my personal perspective, it was something that I kind of wasn't as immediately drawn to, but it was funny because actually my, at the time when I was, let's see, I was 21 years old. I was living in Virginia. My dad came out and he had this purple flower. And I just remember being like, what is that? And just kind of like it reinvigorated my whole excitement about cannabis. I remember smoking it and just having like the best high and thinking that, you know, I just was really intrigued by purple sun-grown cannabis, and so when I moved back to California that next year, I actually um, moved up to Tim's in Laytonville and 
cultivated my first sun-grown cannabis uh, a crop, and it, it just gave me such a new respect for the plant and um, a new joy for consuming cannabis. And so I, I was kind of a late, a late bloomer, actually, for my personal journey into it. No, that's so interesting to hear your story, Taylor, because there's a lot of theories out there about, um, you know, children growing up around cannabis or, or even around alcohol. And a lot of people think that if something is less forbidden to someone, um, they're exposed to it their whole life, the, the taboo element is removed and children can, you know, young teens or whatever aren't necessarily as drawn to like break the rules and try this, you know, try cannabis or drink if it's, um, not as taboo. And that certainly sounds like it's kind of along the lines of your experience. Um, you know, not knowing what cannabis was and it wasn't really that big of a deal and you didn't come to it until you were later in life and it was supernatural. It seems like at that moment for you. So that's really cool to hear that Mm -hmm. experience. And um, would you tell us tell us just a little bit about what your role has been in the cup for the past few years? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually didn't start attending the Emerald Cup until 13 years ago, so I missed the first four, and um, definitely just started attending as as a guest, and was really blown away by everything that that Tim was doing. And um, I didn't start actually working. I actually should say I would get kind of thrown into like helping with merch or helping do stuff at the actual event those first few years, but I didn't have as nearly as large of a role as I do now. But um, I graduated college from UCSC in 2002, or sorry, 2012, and so after that I, I came on as associate producer. So this will be my eighth year in that role with um, being the associate producer of the show. But the majority of what I've had the most hands-on experiences is helping with speakers and helping with the contest. Cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. I would love to talk a little bit about these, um, the different con- the way the contest has changed this year, the different terpene categories. Um, I read Tim's statement that talks about it a little bit. But Tim and Taylor, yeah. would you guys just like to um, elaborate on that a little more? You know, what what was the impetus for that change? Well, you know, over the years, people have, uh, you know, you know, question how does a blue dream always go up against an OG? And, you know, back in the days that we were Neanderthals years ago, it was pretty much the fuels, you know, for a long time time if it wasn't a fuel you couldn't sell it and people didn't want it in fact for a while i thought if it wasn't going to be og or sour diesel nobody ever take anything and we were losing a lot of the cultivars out there because of that um and so that was just it was just a natural place to come into um with the terpene profiles uh there's so many elements to this because then the, the indoor came in for the same reason i mean i've grown a lot of indoor in my life most of the people up here were growing indoor before we could grow out in full sun after the 9.31 program and so with that being legal it just didn't feel right to not include that category we even got the, the hemp uh, infused in the uh, topical coming in, too, because, you know, the, the hemp's become a big deal. But uh, going from one flower contest to where we have over 40 contests now, uh, Taylor has pretty much taken the lead on the contest side. And I'm grateful because uh, it was a big job just doing the flowers, uh, having those 40 contests and all those judges. And just look at the Emerald Cup site and look at all those categories and what's taking place. Uh, it, it's a big job for Taylor to take on. Uh, with her partner Vicky, so Vicky and Taylor really do an amazing job with that, and I, I run along and just stay by the side. 
<laughs> that's not that's not true. You don't stay by the side. But well, you no, do. I, um, I get, to, it I get is, to have all my input. I get all my input. Yeah. I, I definitely have input, and I oversee it on that side. But I mean, Taylor, you and Vicky truly handle and run the contest with all those judges and stuff. And I'm really, I'm really proud of you for that. Oh, thank you. It is. It's a. It's a big job. It's definitely. It's to try to coordinate a statewide competition. Is it is a lot of work because California is a very large state, and so I, we take an entry from Humboldt all the way to San Diego, all the way to Sacramento or Grass Valley, and so it's just it takes a lot of coordination to get the entries to the judges. But we are really excited because this year, like you were saying, we're we are going to be doing this um, separations through terpenes for judging, and. It's something that we talked about last year, and we kind of did a test run of it last year, and it went really well. And so this year we're just going to make it official and, and separate them so when the judges will actually get their flowers, they'll be separated into color-coded um, six different categories of their, of their major dominant terpene class. And then that's how they're going to be judged by their like terpenes. So it's going to be very interesting because what our, our main goal is to highlight diversity in cannabis and to overcome personal bias with, you know, individual preference on flower. I think that's absolutely fabulous, and I love all the categories that have been added this year. It sounds like the cup just gets more and more inclusive every year. And um, I'm a sun-grown cannabis farmer. You know, I run a licensed farm out in Covalo, and I'm all about promoting sun-grown. I, I do think it's an, an incredible thing, the best cannabis that you can get, but there are so many other different kinds of cannabis out there like you said indoor now we have the hemp thing and it, it, these you know everyone is a part of this community it is really important to include everyone so um my hat's off to you both for expanding the categories and just mm -hmm. making the cup more and more inclusive every year uh taylor what's mm -hmm. the average number of entries that you get in a year i imagine it probably grows every single year <laughs> Yeah, we actually, we, it, it has um, had, uh, historically, it has grown every year, except for we actually did see a drop after legalization. And we also were, it's funny, we actually were talking about it. We did also see a drop because we used to have zero, a zero entry fee. And that was really important to Tim to just try to make it as, as easy to access as possible for people to be able to enter. And so we didn't have an entry fee. And then we realized that just for logistical purposes and, and to actually cover the cost to just run the contest, we had to have an entry fee. And so we used to get like 700 flower entries at one point, and, that, and that's a lot. But um, on average last year, we did have around 350 flower entries, and that's across all, all of the categories. Yeah, and it's interesting because you uh, have um – uh, we, we had that 1,200 before we went legal, and then because of the legalization efforts, uh, it really did take us some time and everybody to get used to that. Uh, people have wondered about it because we, I never wanted to be high times with charging so much, but we always tried to just incorporate the cost into the show. But then, like, our, our producers came in and said this, the cup contest has to stand on its own. And when you really look at the salaries and the time and the money to go into it, you know, we got 75000 in awards and over $100,000 in labor alone. Uh, so we're not making any money on the contest. Uh, we're just trying not to lose any money on it. 
and still make it as easy for people to enter as possible. So that that's really uh, what we're trying to do there. And we've even dropped the entry level down to 20 uh, individual pieces for everything but the flowers because we know the expense it goes into. When people were bringing concentrates in just in little jars and stuff, it was one thing. And just like in all the other uh, categories. But when they started having to put it into packaging, get it to their their distributors and then get it back to us, there became so much more cost involved. And so we really wanted to make it even more uh, accessible. So we've dropped that entry level down because we really want people to be able to be part of it. Although we've realized it's really gone from a what I always looked at as a friendly competition to where maybe starting with Leo and he won with Aficionado and stuff, but somewhere in there it really became something that really was important for brands and really significant to be able to put on your marketing and your packaging. So it's really changed over the years. That's why I'm really uh, grateful we were able to get the personal use uh, for the flowers and the concentrates back in because I really wanted to see that. And one of the things I really wanted to say quickly was that uh, I've really been proud of our community. I really thought we'd get a lot more flack for allowing the indoor in. But like you, it's like, okay, we're, we're sun-grown people. That's what we are, most of us predominantly. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge our brothers and sisters in the different – if we're going to acknowledge every category, how can you not bring in indoor? And even on the hemp side with some of that. So I've really been really happy and proud that most people have never said one bad word about bringing in the indoor and in fact, there's a lot of indoor people, Lit House uh, up here, and uh, a number of groups we've been interviewing that they're really excited uh, to enter the indoor and take on the big indoor farmers down south, and hopefully show that uh, these small craft indoor farmers from up north and around the state can uh, can win at that too. Absolutely, you know, I, I do believe that inclusivity is a cornerstone of this community. So I. Really, I couldn't be more supportive of the um, vibe that you're expressing here about including everybody who is part of this community as cultivators, as consumers. Um, we have to recognize all of the members that we have here. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, this event's been going on for a long time. It's really important to many people up here. It's a time when we all come together together. We see one another. We celebrate after the incredibly hard work of cultivating and harvesting our cannabis. Like you said, this event is a huge amount of work to put on. It's been going on, I think you said, for um, for 19 years now, 13 to 19 years. I wasn't sure of the exact number. That's a long time. Um, so what, what keeps you going year after year? What brings you back to producing this event, you know, despite all the changes and challenges our community has faced? Well, what's so exciting was we started off with the Emerald Cup just trying to get a little bit of sunshine onto sun-grown products because everything was like 90% indoor throughout the state. So it's like we're going to start having this to just show that sun-grown has its place too. And over the years, it's become closer to the equal of indoor, and especially with this light depot and all the mixed light. Who even knows what's what anymore? Um, but it's exciting because we're watching this take over. Pebbles is here, Pebbles Trippet, and uh, she spent the night and we were going back over it how with the Emerald Cup and with the 9.31 program and getting Tom Allman elected and all the things we've done in, in this region and then across the country, uh, look at what's happening. Cannabis is taking over the country, the world. It's just taking its place that it should. And so to see that happening is so exciting that for us to think of being able to you know, take the cup to L.A. and really get on a large you know, worldwide stage 
to take it around the country to really just continue this educational and process to inspire people. Uh, that's what keeps me going is just the, th- the thought of inspiring people and educating people. I got a brother-in-law who was captain of Watsonville PD who was a pretty strict drug enforcement cop, and he's now using cannabis for his health issues. My 90-year-old priest uncle uh, is now smoking cartridges, hitting vape cartridges, and using uh, CBD for his Parkinson's. And that wouldn't have happened without legalization, with all the effort of the cup, with people like you. I say the journalists, the educators, the media, the Emerald Cup, even all of it. High times, we've all helped push this educational process so that we're at the point we are now. And uh, I'm more excited than ever. I thought we'd never see this day. And now I'm looking at it like, boy, we're, we're just going to you know, take over the world with all this and really uh, help evolve and change the, the minds of people. And maybe we can all come together in unity because cannabis is a very unifying herb. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I'd, I'd add to that, too, is I just feel like even though the event is a ton of work, um, it's extremely rewarding when you're actually at the event and you see everybody, and it is kind of this reunion of the community, and um, I've traveled all around the world and seen a bunch of different cannabis events, and there are some really great ones out there, so I feel like I do have a, a just an inherent bias by saying that the Emerald Cup one is the best one, but I feel like for, for Northern California, the community really comes out, and we gather, and, and being up on stage at the award show and just seeing everybody, it just, it just, there's, a, there's no other feeling that's like it, so it definitely drives us, I think, in a, in a different way, too, just to continue doing it. Yeah, you're right, Taylor. We were talking about because we were interviewing some of the past winners. I've been going through a bunch of photos to caption for this project we're doing. And to see the expressions on the faces of the winners coming up each year, to to see the pride and joy that they have uh, is indescribable being on the stage. I can only imagine what they feel like. you know. And then the annual gathering of the, the tribe, the community coming together each year, uh, that's what I miss so much about this year. It's like the contest is going to go on. It's going to be fine. But you know, everybody coming together and seeing the excitement of people coming in the gates and just knowing that we're going to have like a Disneyland weekend, uh, there's nothing like it. And I could go on till, uh, you know, till I leave this place. <laughs> absolutely. That's absolutely great. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I journey on to the next plane. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I absolutely, I hear you there 100%. Um, I have to say that my farm, Wildland Cannabis, we actually won the best CBD cartridge last year in conjunction with chemistry. And yeah, the feeling of going up there and like being on the stage is something that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. And you really give that gift to so many cultivators in our community to be able to recognize one another and, um, you know, achieve that goal when you get to that point. It really does feel like a huge achievement in your career. So the cup is just so important to everybody in this community. So I do really want to thank you for all of the hard work that you put into it. It's like an immense, amazing project. Um, And I'm sure you both are just the tip of the iceberg of all the people that are involved in this. How many people go into making the cup happen every year? What do we have, Taylor? Almost 200. Uh, I mean, it's a, in fact, it's maybe even more if you count all the volunteers and what. It's a, it's a small, tight crew that really runs it on a day-to-day basis, you know, six or seven of us. Uh, but overall, when you get to the event and you look at everybody, you know, all the people running the speaker stages, uh, all the, uh, the, the vendor coordinators, I mean, there's just so many. I mean, what do you think, Taylor, between the uh, volunteers and, and, uh, and the staff? What is it all together? 
Yeah, I actually, I just, I was reading, we did a, um, an economic impact study in 2018 through Beacon Economics, and it, I, so I just was reading that this morning, actually, and it does, we do, we do employ 200 people in, in the Sonoma County area just alone during the weekend, so it definitely is a, a small army the weekend of the show, but like Tim said, for the actual year, throughout the year planning, it's a, it's a small, tight team, so it's about eight people. So something that I've always loved about the cup is um, going there and seeing the, the different panels and um, really getting educated on different topics. I'm always walking in and getting my guide and, and frantically trying to figure out how I can learn all the things that I want to learn in this short period of time because there's always such amazing guests and amazing panelists. So I was curious to ask you if there's anything planned like that virtually this year where people will be able to tune in and um, like attend a, a, a panel or hear someone speak. Yes, we are. We're planning on doing, um, we're trying, we have, the one thing we definitely have learned this year is to have multiple plans in place. Um, so we do have a few different exciting things kind of in the works for March. One of those things is definitely an educational component to the award show, and those will be streamed. And so we have some really exciting topics that we're discussing. And um, the education for us is always – we're always so sad because we plan – these amazing educational panels and they're people that we really look up to and respect and they come and they speak and then neither Tim or myself can ever make it to see them actually at the panels. Um, so we, we're very excited about putting out the education um, as well as the award show this year. So we have some exciting things in store. Yeah, the reason why I hesitated there was because Taylor knows that I always want to do more. Uh, the Cups never really made us any money. I've made money, you know, a couple of years out of the whole, you know, journey we've been on. It's been really more about just the joy of doing it. Uh, but we don't have a huge budget because we don't have an event. And so how do you put on a huge amount of speakers and an educational component without that revenue coming in? And so that's why I hesitated, because for me, I would go ahead and just do three days worth of panels anyway. Uh, and so we're really looking at that and seeing, okay, what's the interest? How do we do that? What do we move forward with? And, um, you know, it's, it's all going to be decided in the next couple of weeks. We have a, a few different uh, possibilities we're looking at. And so um, I hope that we have quite a few of those uh, educational panels, because they're my favorite. Even though I don't get to see them, I still I just love the idea of people being able to come and see their favorite, uh, you know, people. Absolutely. Yeah, I've learned so much at the Cup, and, you know, there's always, you always have amazing um, speakers there talking about regenerative farm techniques, and in the past years you introduced the Regenerative Farm Awards, and I learn techniques and, and information that I bring back to my own farm and use in my growing practices, so thank you for that, and thanks for all the education that you bring to the community through this event. It's about fun, it's about celebrating one another, but it's also about learning, and I think that that's really important to recognize um, the synergy of everybody coming together, the different connections that, that we make. It's just magic every year. You know, I always say to people, if you've never been to the Cup and you're part of the cannabis community out here, you are really missing out. It's, um, it's like Christmas. It's like Disneyland. It's like all of the most amazing <laughs> holidays of the year rolled into one. So before we, um, you know, move on to the next part of our show today, I wanted to ask you both, are there any strains this year that you're, like, really excited about? new things you've come across, new cultivars in your lives? 
I can go first. Um, so it's actually funny. It's not a new. It's not necessarily a new strain. But what I one of the things I'm most excited about what we're doing with the terpene profiles in the judging process is that my favorite strains always kind of range into the awesomeine dominant strains. So I really liked in the pines. I really liked some of Mark Green Shocks, um, who's who's won before in the cup. Some of his strains like Tropical Sleigh Ride. I really like the um, the high that I get when I smoke an awesomeine dominant strain and so one of the, but but it's not it's not really like the most common strains that you'll see like a lot of obviously like a lot of strains can be mercine dominant or um pinene and so i they will have awesomeine in there but not necessarily that that's like the dominant terpene profile obviously and so i'm just really excited about with the judging process happening this year just being able to have all these strains really be highlighted and just kind of see the process but i would say in the pines is one of my favorites but kind of just come around again so so it's something I look forward to. You know that in the pines is a great, uh, a great, a great cultivar to breed with too. You see so many people cutting, uh, cutting that into different yeah. flowers. Uh, you know, I uh, Derek, Derek um, is, a, is, a, is an old grower of ours that has won in the past, and well, of ours being the Emerald Cup, he just won in the past. Um, but he's always one of our favorites, and he enters the personal use category. And he's just he's, Tim was just talking like such positive things about him. He's such a amazing cultivator and kind of become a little part of our Emerald Cup family. And so whenever I think of In the Pines, I always think of him because he's definitely the one that brought it to my attention. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that. Uh, the Skittles crew, uh, Tony and, and uh, Fields, have some uh, different crosses that I, that I really love that they're doing. Um, I... Um, I, I love what, uh, you know, we have a cereal milk uh, that we kind of, we didn't steal, we got it, but it came from the cookies people. They weren't, Burner wasn't too happy about it, and we've got that in concentrates, which has really blown my mind, the quality of what that came out as. And uh, then my, my partner's got a uh, cultivar called the Sfog, which is, um, you know, a really, it's a, it's a, um, Afghani, and it's it's mixed with uh, the black lime from uh, Jackson, and they put it back into our Emerald Cup OG, and it's just uh, it's an amazing strain. I wish we could enter it, uh, except I'm part of it, so we can't really do that. Um, but you know, talking to everybody, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing it all because I haven't been out there like everybody else. We've all been kind of stuck inside, so I'm really looking forward to all these new cultivars coming in through the contest because that's when we really get to look at them and really say, okay, what do we really get to? We get to look at all the latest strains for the year and say, okay, what do we like? And that's one of my favorite parts of the contest, too, is just to be able to go through all of that and just revel in everybody's creations because, you know, Jen, the thing was years ago, Nobody was doing any but clones. You're looking at, you know, OGs, Sour Ds. If you didn't have that, you couldn't sell anything. Now, with so many people needing personalized, you know, individual genetics, it's incredible to see how many cultivars are coming out. You can't even just look at the list. You can't even keep up with them. There's hundreds coming out each year. Uh, so there's just a plethora of, you know, brilliance that people are creating. And so I'm really looking forward to uh, the flowers coming in and be able to look at all of it. Right on. I know. I, I'm so excited with everything that comes out every year, too. It's just amazing. It's it's incredible to be able to access all these legal clones and seeds now for our farms. And I can only imagine that the, the fun that the judges have um, getting all of these different samples and being able to try them. Uh, real quick before we wrap it up with Tim and Taylor, I want to remind you that you are listening to the Cannabis Hour. Uh, this is KZYX. The Cannabis Hour is a bi-weekly radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. And I am live on the air today with Tim and Taylor Blake. 
and they have just let us know what is up with the cup in 2020 about the 2020 Emerald Cup, the changes that are um, happening to accommodate the coronavirus. And if you would like more information about the Emerald Cup and how you can still participate this year, they're still doing a contest and it sounds like there's some other fun stuff in the works too. You can check out their website. It's theemeraldcup.com. That is theemeraldcup.com. The contest is still open. It looks like the um, the deadlines are coming up not until the end of January. So the or the beginning or mid and middle of January is more like it. It looks like January fifteenth is is the final deadline for personal use and licensed companies. So it's not too late to participate, which is great to hear. Um, Tim and Taylor, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with before we wrap up today and, and I move on to our next topic? Sure. Um, like I said, I really appreciate people like yourself and obviously not getting paid, not making money, all the educators, journalists, media people that go out there and continue to further cannabis. I just applaud everyone. And uh, the thing that we keep hearing from people, just not a lot, but here and there, is this pay-to-play thing with the cup. And it's amazing because there have been other contests, I won't name them, that people knew that you could pay to win the contest. Anybody that's ever been a judge or worked with our contest knows the great lengths we go to get a balance of judges and to do it completely uh, fairly so that you know, the best product wins. And that's the, the one thing I'd say to everybody is that the Emerald Cup is completely about objective fairness, and uh, nobody's ever won anything um, because they paid for anything or gave us anything or whatever else. It's just it's never happened and it won't happen because that's the integrity of the Cup. So people can be assured this is always a fair competition. Yeah, the, and the one thing I would add to that is the one piece um, we're actually talking about SE Labs today is that the, the personal use entry fee um, is $550, which does seem like a lot of money, but we have um, all the personal use entries will be uh, full spectrum tested by SE Labs, and the full spectrum test costs $450, and that's the cheapest that we could possibly get it, and so personal use entries, it, the cost of the entry get to you that full spectrum test and then it just is a hundred dollars to help us run the contest and so we just wanted to let everybody know that if you do have a personal use entry that that entry fee you will get a full spectrum test out of that and you'll get all the results the micro the terpene test the potency test pesticide test all of that stuff so you'll get all those results as well so we just wanted to let everybody know that we tried to make that as low as possible yeah, and every flower will be tested for terpenes uh, separately. We'll, we'll have everything go in and be tested for terpenes so that we can uh, really have an objective look at that. So there'll be a lot of data. It's wonderful to see all this data come out. So we're going to start collecting all this data and really putting it out into forms where people can look at it and see what the preferences, where the, where the general trends are, what's going on. So we're really looking forward to activating all that data we've had over the years. That's fantastic, and I can't wait to see um, what grows out of that, that data that you collect and what the next phase is for the cup. And I just want to to add to what you said there, Tim, as someone who um, received an award at the Emerald Cup last year, I can definitely attest to the fairness of the contest because we did not think that we were going to win at all. So it's definitely not biased in any way. I had... Um, a wonderful opportunity last year to take a peek at the judging process, and I won't reveal anything about that, but all I can say is what I saw was super above board, and folks, you know, those judges don't know what anything is. Everything is, like, anonymous. Um, it's very fair, and I encourage everybody to enter because it's super fun to be a part of this community event. 
So Tim and Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back on um, the show in the future to hear about the evolution of that data and this project. So I just want to say thank you both so much and uh, stay well. And I hope to hear from you both soon. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we're going to be switching gears a little bit today um, to the second half of our show. We just heard from Tim and Taylor Blake all about what's up with the cup this year. And now we are moving on to just sort of something fun we're going to do here at the end of the show. We're going to be just like learning a little bit about the endocannabinoid system um, from a good friend of mine. His name is Ben Shababo, and he is a trained neuroscientist. He has studied neuroscience, uh, statistics, and computer science as an undergraduate at Columbia University and as a PhD student at UC Berkeley. While his work focused on creating methods for mapping synaptic connections in the brain, he's here with us today to talk about cannabis and the brain and the endocannabinoid system. So, Ben, would you uh, like to say hi to all of our listeners here? Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me on, Jen. This is fun. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I should say, yeah, like I uh, sort of stated in that bio, but I'm not on here as an expert in the endocannabinoid system. But you can maybe I'm putting on a um, more of like a science journalism hat here, and I'll use my background in neuroscience to be a good translator. So I don't want to front like I'm an endocannabinoid specialist, but um, but yeah, but I am here prepared to tell you a little bit about it, and so hopefully we can educate some people and answer some questions. You probably know more than me and most of our listeners, so don't worry. <laughs> That's fine, but there's also a risk, I guess, of um, of getting things wrong. But I think we'll be all right. We're gonna we're not gonna we'll keep it at a level where I feel pretty comfortable. Great. Cool. So, uh, Ben, you want to go ahead and just sort of break it down, give us a basic overview of what exactly is the endocannabinoid system. I think we've all heard about it, but honestly, few of us probably know as much as you, so go for it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'll start by saying, um, oh, yeah, so the endocannabinoid system, right? So it has that part of the word cannabinoid in it, and that does come from the cannabis plant, and the reason that this system, right? And so, right. So then the other word endo means inside. So this is kind of like the internal cannabis system. And the reason it's named that way is because we first discovered it because of the cannabis plant. So people have known for a long time that there are psychoactive effects and other um, physiological effects of, of using cannabis. And so at one point, this is uh, in the middle of the 1900s, some scientists decided to isolate the compound in the plant that caused these effects. And those, when they started isolating those, like THC and CBD and things like that, they named those cannabinoids. But as with a lot of things we put in our body that come from the world, things that come from plants or other synthetic compounds, as we, so um, those, those work on our bodies because our body has receptors for molecules that are like those found in the plants, but that we produce inside of ourselves. So um, another good example is that, you know, we have the dopamine system that a lot of people are familiar with or the serotonin system, right? And there's different molecules we put in our bodies that can modulate those systems, right? Um, 
And so the endocannabinoid system actually wasn't discovered until people started to study cannabis. So, and this happens all the time in neuroscience that we're studying something we put in our body and it reveals a whole system to us. And so that's basically what the endocannabinoid system is. It's the system within our bodies that creates and responds to molecules that act like cannabinoids. Um, and if you want, I can maybe give you a couple details about what it looks like. So there's four main components of the endocannabinoid system. There's two receptors and two ligands. And ligand is a fancy word for the molecule that binds to the receptor, right? And so when you, let's say you smoke weed, THC goes and binds to these receptors. Or CBD binds to these receptors. But there's two molecules in our bodies, anandamine and this other one we'll call 2-AG. Those are the cannabinoid, the two main cannabinoids that our body creates that binds to these receptors. And um, yeah, and it's worth noting that the two cannabinoid receptors, CB1 and CB2, that CB1 is primarily in our brains and in our nervous system. And CB2, which is potentially responsible for uh, a decent range of the therapeutic or medicinal effects that are non-psychoactive effects, like, for example, like tissue protectivity or immune protectivity, well, those CB2 receptors are predominantly expressed on immune cells. So while we think of cannabis, you know, because of the direct experience of the psychoactive effects, we think of it as a brain thing. The endocannabinoid system is actually very diffuse and is expressed both in the brain and also highly in the immune system, but also on many, many other cells. Thank you, Ben. That is great information, and it's fascinating to learn more about that. I would like to just remind our listeners that you're, if you're just joining us, this is the Cannabis Hour on KZYX. We're a bi-leafy radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. We are reaching the final quarter of our show today. It's a time where I usually open up the phone lines to hear from you all, and I would love to still do that today. So that number is 707-895-2448. That is 707-895-2448. If you're out there listening, you have a question about the Emerald Cup. We heard from Tim and Taylor Blake earlier or you have a question about the endocannabinoid system or a comment, or you just want to connect, give us a call. That number is 707-895-2448. So Ben is here. He's a neuroscientist. He's talking to us about um, neuroscience and the endocannabinoid system. And um, something that I didn't ask Ben that I would love to is, uh, Ben, what's your personal relationship with cannabis? Oh, well, I have had a relationship with cannabis. I started smoking when I was in my late teens, um, which is also similarly when I met you. It's true. <laughs> I, you know, correlation is not causation, but there's some sort of relationship there. Um, and that was, you know, that was, yeah. And so I have been a regular user of cannabis for half my life now. Um, and, you know, I think like a lot of people, my relationship with it is complex, just like it's a very complex molecule and interacts with our bodies in very complex ways, you know? So, and actually, it's funny, this brings me to sort of, since we have limited time, the main point I think worth making about the um, endocannabinoid system and cannabis and the brain and, and maybe health in general is that it is extremely complex 
and comes with both pros and cons. And similarly, that is my relationship with it, right? So, so it's all about balance. It's all about making sure that you're trying to extract as much of the pro effects, the effects that you like about it, and minimizing the negative effects, however that might be. And, and there's obvious things like if you're a smoker, there's effect, negative effects there. But as it relates to the endocannabinoid system, I would say that what's interesting about cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system is, is that it literally is involved in almost every brain area and almost any study that tries to find a link between the endocannabinoid system and some function like stress or reward or things like epilepsy, so many different things, there always does seem to be some relationship, which means, you know, and sometimes adding a cannabinoid helps and sometimes adding a cannabinoid hurts, right? So, so there's no just um, simple view of this. And because of that, you have to be, you have to keep everything in balance. So it can definitely be used as a tool for medicine, for sure. There's a lot of great evidence that shows that it's helpful for stress relief and is good in terms of mitigating your sort of stress, anxiety, sort of content contentedness axis. That's one of the main theories is that it can move you closer, like, a, you know, it can move you away from the anxiety part of the axis towards contentedness. But that said, a lot of people obviously report feeling more anxiety, right? So it's extremely complex. And even the, the data, I should say this, the data we have, it's not in a data where we understand how it works. It's just that we can get data that shows us that it's involved. So if you take away parts of the endocannabinoid signaling, you can see stress go up. Or if you add more, you can see stress go down. Or, um, but, but also like in the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory, if you add too much, you can see a decrease in function, right? So it doesn't mean we know how it works, but just that it's involved. And I think, well, actually, one thing your previous, um, uh, the, the previous person on the show said that I think is related as much to the neuroscience part is this idea of personalization. So maybe it's not about a particular strain or not, but it's about your particular relationship with it and how it could affect your health. And so, yeah. yeah. You know, Ben, that really leads me to my next uh, point that I want to make here, information I want to share, which is this article that I'm going to read right now. It's on CannabisNow.com. It's by Mike Adams, and it's titled, Marijuana Might Be Beneficial in Combating Phobias. So I'm going to read some of this really quick, and then Ben and I will briefly talk about it. I'm going to ask what his opinion is about this. Um, dovetails nicely with what you just had to say there about cannabis and stress and anxiety. So this article, uh, which states, all of us are afraid of something, and isn't that true? <laughs> For some, it might mean feeling a little uneasy when matched with an unknown entity that catches them off guard when they least expect it, or a looming dread of a weekly editorial meeting that keeps them from wanting to get out of bed. Hey, we've all been there. There are other people, however, who have an irrational crippling fear, otherwise known as a phobia of something that hinders their lives with such ferocity that they will do everything in their power to maintain a safe distance. You won't catch these folks in or even around an airport, near the snake pit at the zoo, 
in confined spaces or checking out the views from the top of the Empire State Building. Or in the year 2020. Or in the year 2020, as Ben has added. Unfortunately, we all have to exist here. Um, People with phobias are perfectly content living their lives without any of these perceived frightening situations turning them into a frayed ball of nerves. About 19 million people all across the U.S. suffer from an irrational fear of something, which makes it the most common mental disorder in the country, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. There's no need to fear, though. Cannabis might be just what the doctor ordered. A body of evidence has emerged over the past six years or so, suggesting that marijuana, or at least some of its essential compounds, might be able to help people with certain kinds of phobias feel less afraid. A study from the University of Michigan, which was published in the journal Neuropsychology in 2013, finds that tetracannabinol, not THC, (laughs) might provide phobia patients with a trapdoor out of the horrific anxiety that comes with these conditions. In some cases, researchers discovered that the stoner cannabinoid is so beneficial in this respect that it even allowed some patients to work through their fears and move past them. But it's not like researchers just got a bunch of people stoned and then tossed them in a closed space and let them work out their anxieties. No, that actually sounds absolutely terrible. Um, The article goes on. We have limited time here, so I'm just going to kind of sum it up. The study involved 30 people, um, gave them... THC and CBD injections monitored their brains and also their reactions to these things. If you would like to read this article, it's on CannabisNow.com, and it's called Marijuana Might Be Beneficial in Combating Phobias. Ben, as a neuroscientist, what is your take on this concept? Yeah. So, um, So I haven't read this piece of research, but I can say that in my, um, in, in going Sorry, folks, we were just having a bit of a technical difficulty there, but we're back. Um, Ben is here, and he is going to be commenting on how marijuana might be beneficial in combating phobias. Go ahead, Ben. Hey, yeah, so um, maybe you you all heard it or you didn't, but Jen presented some research that was done in 2013 that showed that cannabis, THC, and CBD, those molecules, could be useful in helping people get over their phobias. And... I was commenting that this, this, you know, I haven't read this, this article, but this totally makes sense in terms of what I do know about the endocannabinoid system, which I guess I'll just call the ECS for the last few minutes here. 
And the idea is this, that one of the prevailing theories of what, one of the things the ECS modulates, and like I said, it modulates many, many functions in our body, and that's what makes it so complex, but one of them is that it can move us along this axis that goes from anxiety to contentedness, right? And so obviously that can be related to getting over your fears because one of the physiological and emotional aspects of fear is anxiety. And related to that also there's this feeling of not wanting to to experience it so you kind of freeze up right and so, so cannabis also interacts with the dopamine system which is related to motivation and reward so whether you want to go towards something or move away from it so you can imagine that in a way like i said we don't always understand how these things work but we can we can get evidence that they are that cannabis is involved in these things even if we don't understand exactly how and we can see that it interacts with the dopamine system and it interacts with this st stress axis. And so I think it makes a lot of sense that cannabis can be used to help these things. But I will say one other thing you pointed out that I think is super important is that this probably only works in conjunction with some sort of behavioral therapy. Um, yeah, so I think that's super important. And that's also true for psychedelic research as well, is that the behavioral clinical side is necessary. Awesome, Ben. Thank you so much. It's been super interesting to hear your educated perspective on uh, these topics. Unfortunately, we're out of time for today. Um, my name is Jen Procacci. I'm the host of the Cannabis Hour. You're listening to KZYX. I'll be back two weeks today um, with another episode for you. If you would like more info on how to participate in the Emerald Cup, which we discussed earlier, you can visit the website, theemeraldcup.com. That's theemeraldcup.com. Or if you would like to contact me, the Cannabis Hour host, you can always reach me at kzyxcannabishour at gmail.com. That's kzyxcannabishour at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. I hope you have a beautiful day. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Woolets and Ukiah, 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.